So, this morning we're carrying on our series on Acts. Um, we've been looking at this journey of the church as from the ascension of Jesus, um, and then these guys are left holding this story, holding this movement that's coming with the Holy Spirit. And they're... Um, and these guys are trying to figure out, what does this church look like? What does this movement look like? What does the kingdom look like? And this morning, the title of my talk is, What's It Going to Cost? Which, um, you know, sometimes it looks like we plan these things, and this, this particular aspect wasn't planned, but, you know, Rachel's just been talking about taking steps of obedience, um, even though they cost, taking steps of faith without knowing what's the other side of it, even though there's immense cost in that. And it's a, um, and that's very much the theme of today. Um, we're going to read the passage, which is quite a lengthy passage. Um, and as we go through that, then we'll get into it, and there's some other stuff I want to talk about. So um, it starts in chapter 5, verse 17, and it says, Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, now the Sadducees, um, the kind of the Jewish leaders were kind of made up of Pharisees and Sadducees, and there was quite a difference between the two. They disagreed on some fundamental theological issues, but the Sadducees, uh, well, both of them were quite hardline, but the Sadducees were probably even more hardline than the Pharisees. Um, and they, the Sadducees, um, didn't believe in the spiritual stuff. If you could see it, if you could touch it, if you could taste it, if you could experience it, then that was. Um, that was real, but none of the spiritual stuff, life after death, the resurrection, didn't believe in any of that stuff. Um, so you can imagine that what the disciples were doing, filled with the Spirit, raising people from the dead, healing people, talking about Jesus as the Messiah who had been killed by the religious leaders, was quite problematic for them. And so that's the Sadducees that we see here. So the high priests, all the associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy about what was going on. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said. Tell the people all about this new life. So at daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, we found the jail securely locked, with the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. There's a certain sort of um, comedic element to this. So you've got these guys, and they're going, oh, we're going to stop these guys because we don't like them, we're jealous of them, they're a problem, whatever it is, so we're going to lock them up. And then no sooner they're locked up, then this angel appears and lets them out and goes, go and carry on preaching. And these guys, not knowing that these guys are out, send to the prison and go, go and get the guys because we want to talk to them about what they're doing, we want to tell them off, we want to punish them. And they go to get them, but they're not there. But the doors are locked and the guards are there, but there's nobody on the inside. And it says the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. And you can almost visualize them going, oh my goodness, now what? 
Oh, this is just going to be trouble. You know when you get that sinking feeling? Like it's a, it's a story develops, you think you're in control of a situation, and then something happens and you realize that you're nothing like in control of the situation. That's how they're feeling right now. I don't know if you can associate with that as a parent or as a, as a manager at work or whatever situation you might be, but that feeling where you kind of go, I've got this, I'm in charge, everything's happening as I want it to happen, and then something happens. Something switches and you realize that you are nothing like in control of the situation. This is exactly what's going on for these guys. They're going, oh my goodness, now what? And it gets worse. Then someone else came in and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. Who wants to be that guy telling them that news? I don't know. But he's going, look, they're in the courts and they're teaching the people at that the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles, but they did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. They are in a tricky situation. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. This is where it gets brilliant. We gave you strict orders not to teach in his name. You know, they're trying to sound all, like, important, in charge of the situation again, in control of the situation again. We told you, we're very clear with you, that you're not supposed to be doing this. When clearly, you know, angels are letting them out of prison and they're free to speak and their miracles are performing. People are just putting the sick on the side of the road in the hope that they, the shadow of one of the apostles might cast over them so they'd be healed. Like, the Sanhedrin are not in control of the situation at all but they're stubborn and they're fighting to be in control. He says, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Oh, there it is. So they're not just worried about all the miracles. The problem is they're talking about the guy that they sentenced to death. And this maybe isn't going to plan. Maybe... You know, their decision to sentence Jesus to death, another attempt to get control of a situation, to shut something down that was causing them trouble, that was causing them difficulties. And they've tried to shut it down, and it's not really worked, because now there's all this talk of this guy rising from the dead, and now these, the followers of this guy go around performing the same miracles that this guy was talking, but talking about how the guy that they killed was the Messiah, and the people probably aren't very pleased about this. And they've got a potential riot on their hands. And they're looking at this going, we're not coming out of this looking very good, because we're the ones who killed this guy. So they're trying to go, oh, you're trying to make out that we're the ones who did this. They're struggling a little bit. I don't know why that's gone back, but we'll skip forward. So then it says, Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. So they're not pulling the punches. They're not trying to be nice. They're not, they're not here in a peacemaking mission. They're not trying to talk themselves out of jail. They're not, they're not afraid of anything. And they're just laying it right at the door. going, you're the ones who killed him by hanging him on a cross. And God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and saviour that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. Which again is pretty direct because as the religious leaders of Israel, the sins of Israel sit firmly at the feet of the religious leaders of Israel. We are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit 
also a little bit antagonistic since the, since the Sadducees, remember, don't believe in the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to, these, to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, the teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while, just calming the situation down. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thudas appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. But he was killed. All his followers were dispersed. It all came to nothing. After him, Judas of Galilean appeared in the days of the census, and then a band of people in revolt. But he too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. You might remember, right at the beginning of this series on Acts, I was talking about, you know, Jesus wasn't the first guy to rock up claiming to be the Messiah, leading a revolution against the Roman Empire. And Gamaliel here is referring to the two previous, fairly recent history examples of that, where people have come in and the people have got behind them this Messiah-type figure, to overthrow Israel, to overthrow um, Rome, and to restore Israel to its former glory. But he's going, they both came to nothing. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men you will only find yourselves fighting against God. That's quite a warning, isn't it? Imagine being the religious leaders of Israel in the Sanhedrin, in the temple, in Jerusalem. And this man stands in front of you and says, be careful. In your zeal, to defend God, you might find yourself in opposition to him. Be careful. In your passion to confront anyone who is different from you, anyone who comes with a different story of God to you, to defend the God of Israel, you might find yourself at odds with that same God. You might find yourself in opposition to the very God that you're trying to defend. Because see, sometimes, sometimes we can be so passionate about our understanding of God. We can be so passionate about our experience of God that only our experience of God is the one that counts. You can be so passionate about your denomination. You can be so passionate about your story. You can be so passionate about your theology. And then someone comes along with a different understanding, with a different story, with a different experience, with a different theology. And we can go to battle, going, we need to shut these people down, we need to silence these people because my understanding is the only understanding. My experience is the only true experience. My story is the only true story. My theology is the only right 
theology. And there's a warning in here for us to be careful when we're in that situation. Because sometimes our passion to defend God, to defend our theology, can put us in opposition of the very God we're trying to defend. You've heard me say it many times here about something I was taught at Bible College. I said, you know, God will continue to save people by ways you cannot approve of. But deal with it. He's God and you're not. You know, our understanding, our experience of God, our theology shifts over time. As we encounter different aspects of God, as we encounter different understandings of God, as we relate with God differently, as we mature, as we develop, as God wants to challenge different things in us, reveal different aspects of himself to us for different moments or different times in our life, for different journeys in our life. There are aspects of theology that I held passionately 20 years ago, which I hold less firmly now. And there are things that I didn't really understand five or 10 years ago that maybe I see clearer now. And we go on this journey of understanding a relationship and theology and interpreting scripture and understanding who God is and being in relationship with God. But if God's God, it's possible that there are aspects to God that I've not encountered yet. It's possible that God could relate with someone in a way that I've not experienced yet. It's possible there could be understandings that I've not developed yet. And if we think that wherever I am is the only way to think or the only way to be or the only way to understand, then we we make God very small. And these, these um, religious leaders are being warned. The God you're trying to defend, be careful, because you might find yourself opposing the very God you're trying to defend, you're trying to serve. And it's a, it's a sober warning for us to think about. And then it goes on. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they still had to give him a bit of a beating. And they still had to give him a warning. And I don't think we need to read on to guess that maybe they didn't pay a lot of attention to the stop speaking in the name of Jesus. I think, I think we kind of get a feel for the, these disciples aren't going to be listening to that sort of thing because they're just doing what the Spirit's leading them to do. Whatever trouble, it gets them in. And in fact, it says, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day, in the temple courts, from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. There is this unstoppable movement being worked out, being lived out by the apostles. It's a really exciting story. So here's a quote that I came across recently. It says, the first 30 years of church history are called the book of Acts, not the book of meetings. Church equals action. 
They didn't just gather around having meetings. They went out and they did stuff. They went out and they changed lives. They encountered people. They healed. They raised people from the dead. They, they did the miraculous. They just went out and did it. And I feel like we're at a really interesting time as a church at the moment. And not just as YCC. As, um, as the church, locally, as the church, nationally. The church in the UK, I think, is a really interesting point. And there have been a number of prophetic words. I think we've had a sense. You know, Acts wasn't... Again, I've probably said this before. Acts was not my first choice of which book we wanted to teach next. There was kind of this, like, I was like going, oh, I think let's do... You know, people are going, oh, we really enjoyed Mark. Let's, let's explore another book. Let's go, well, maybe let's do Old Testament. Maybe we should do Genesis or, or something like that. That'd be quite interesting. And then a bunch of other people on the leadership team are going, oh, no, I don't, don't think so. Not at the moment. I go, okay, well, what? And they go, maybe we should do, like, one of the Paul letters. And there are a few people going, let's do one of the Paul letters. I was going, oh, I'm, not yet. Like, we do need to do that, but I just don't feel like now's the right time for that. There's some stuff that, you know... Pauline theology is a rapidly evolving picture at the moment and um, some interesting stuff to get our heads around before we start teaching into that too deeply. And I was like, oh, I just don't feel like now's the right time for us to do that. And then someone kind of threw in Acts and I didn't have a strong argument. I went, oh, fine, never mind, let's do Acts then. So it was kind of a, all right, fine, we'll do this. So that was, that was how we ended up doing Acts. But actually it feels like, not unusually in these Situations. It feels like, you know, God's brought us to the book of Acts for a reason because as we're at this really interesting time as a church. One of the things that, again, I've been saying, I feel like 2017 was a very tough year for us as a church, for us as a leadership team, for a number of, number of people within the church. And some of you will be going, yeah, and 2018 hasn't necessarily felt massively different. But actually, I do feel like there is a difference this year. And... Um, my sense for this year, that you, if you're around me much over these last few months, you'll have heard me using some particular f- words and some particular phrases. Um, first of those is acceleration. That I'm sensing that we're in a time of acceleration. Um, things are quickening up. There's, a, there's an ease. Like things that maybe we've had to work for really hard before, suddenly there's just a speeding up and they're just happening. And there's an openness, there's an acceleration to what's going on. There's an acceleration to who we are as a church. The second of those is expansion. And we're just gonna, we are in the process of seeing things expand. You know, we're seeing whether it's growth in, on Sunday mornings or number of people in the who are using the church through the week, whether it's new people coming to faith, whether it's an expansion and acceleration in the miraculous, whether it's an expansion and acceleration in our influence in the town, in our authority in the town. This is what we're seeing. And we're not just seeing it here, as I talk to other church leaders around the country. This is what similar stories are being told around the country. One of the other things that I've been talking about for good 18 months now, creating space that maybe our role as leaders isn't just to do lots of different projects, our role as church is to do lots of projects, but to create space within which God can do more, within which people can find their space, step into their gifting, their calling, their passion. And our role is to create space for that rather than to 
orchestrate, manage, dream everything up, do everything like uh, to create space. A creating of space for God to do the miraculous. A creating of space in our language. A creating of space in our community. That we are a space where people come and they feel peace or they feel safe or they feel included or they feel inspired. They feel a connection with God even if they can't find the language for it or they can't find the words for it. We're creating space for the kingdom. And there is a creating space. It's a bit of a strategy, I think, that we're being called to use more and more. And then the fourth thing is innovation. New ways of doing things in a society, in a country that is struggling in a number of areas, that has a mental health epidemic running through its schools and running through its society, that has addiction issues, that has issues around healthcare and a health system that's on its knees, an education system that's creaking. In a, in a society where we have less and less resources, and more and more need. There is a need for innovation. And one of the things I believe we're called to bring as church is innovation. So you'll have heard me talking maybe a lot over the last few weeks, months, about innovation. Innovative thinking, new ways of doing things, new ideas, creative ways that, that, that work in collaboration and partnership with, with our community and with different agencies and different people and different churches to bring innovative ways to bring transformation in our communities. And these are some of the words that you will hear me and will have heard me talking about and, and some of the other members of the leadership team as well. And then, about 10 days ago, um, this guy, I don't know him, but he leads a church up in the northeast and he came with this word. And it just resonated with so much of what I have been feeling for us so much of what I've heard other people talking about when I've been meeting at wildfires, planning meetings, and you've got church leaders from around the country, and we're all coming with a similar story of God is on, God is on the move. God is about to do something significant, but it's not going to look how it's looked. It's not going to be what we expect it to be, and we need to step into it even though we don't know what it looks like, and we need to go there, and we need to be courageous, and we need to be bold, and we need to, be, we need to step into this stuff. I was up in Bristol um, meeting with... I don't know, 70 church leaders back in November. And I was talking to them about the opportunities that are going on in their city for dramatic transformation, amazing, innovative ways that the church and the, and the council can work together. And I was talking to these church leaders, and, I, and the thing that I felt I was supposed to say to them was, you know, you have this phenomenal opportunity right in front of you, but what are you prepared for it to cost you? What are you prepared to sacrifice? Because this isn't just going to happen. It, it's going to cost you, might cost you money. It might cost you people. Some of your best people you might have to let go to other churches to do work in other areas of the city. It might cost you your own agendas. Because church leaders are busy people with lots of lists of things to do and priorities and things to focus on. I was saying to them, you might have to put some of that down in order to step into the opportunity that God's got for you in this city now. It might cost you some of your theology. You might have to find yourself working with churches that you haven't historic, historically felt comfortable working with. You might have to work with some people who hold different ideas to you. You might have to work in ways that maybe haven't always been the way you've worked. You might need to put down your agendas and your theology and your money and your people 
and your self-interest. You might see other people getting more profile than you. You might see other churches getting more growth than you. What are you prepared for this to cost you? And so, like I say, 10 days ago, I saw this word come through from this guy, and I just want to read it to you because it resonates. It says, there is a ripping open of the heavenly realms above the United Kingdom right now, bringing the church into a new season in God. Encounters are increasing. The prophetic realm is being amplified, clarified, magnified as I bring my word to my people with a new urgency, a new authority, a new sense of movement. You have gone through the valley of the shadow of death, through a season of limitation, waiting, patience, growing in strength, ready for the next chapter of my plans. Now I am bringing you into a spacious place, a place of fulfillment. There is a new rhythm, an authority coming to the body of Christ. Now is the time to enter a new school of the Spirit, to bring the new pace of my Spirit. There are greater details, greater breakthrough, greater speed being delivered to you. It is time to increase your prophetic accuracy. I am gracing you for this. Things are going to speed up as you enter a season of the suddenlies of heaven. You have been held back like a catapult, but the release is upon you to move you forward with great speed into the next season. The waiting has been necessary to cleanse you, a purifying by fire to remove ego, presumption, disunity, envy, selfish ambition. It has all been to prepare you to move into a fresh promised land season. And now as a fresh touch of my spirit falls upon you, give yourself to worship. My word and prayer Give yourself to resting in my rhythms. You will find it is I who is breaking forth, not you. I am winning these battles. I am pounding a clear path in front of you as you worship and listen. So do not enter a place of striving simply because it is a time to move again. In this season, I am releasing a new ability to innovate. Old patterns and methods will fall away with greater ease than ever before as I give a new grace to find new ways for the kingdom of heaven to infect the kingdoms of this world. You will no longer be content to be busy, but ineffective. I'm causing you to long to see effective authority at work, true fruitfulness, kingdom advancement. And this is going to come from a new place of innovation as you listen to me. Ministries, projects, partnerships, and styles that have never been considered before will break out in new ventures. Unity that was not possible before because of the pride of men will begin to break out among you, leading to partnerships that will not worry about who will get the accolades or the finances. But I am making my church one team, one people. A win for one will be a win for all. A new time, a time for new influence. This will all lead to the greatest outpouring of authority and influence many churches, cities, and regions have seen. The church is ready to infect every strata of society with a glory-revealing movement of powerful believers, not a few famous faces. No, this is an army of grace multitudes that are ready to advance. Many might say, my time has not yet come, and yet it has. Many of these grace-filled multitudes do not feel ready but there's been a suffering, a waiting, a learning, a cleansing, and their spirits are more empowered than they know. Their hearts are more hungry than they know. Their mouths are more ready than they know. It is time. It is time. It is time. These multitudes will move into politics, arts, media, education, finance, law, celebrity, medicine, church planting, missions, and the realms of family, community, national conscience like never before. A yeast among the dough, bringing life wherever they go, be ready to innovate, my people, because there are new strategies being released from the planning rooms and the war rooms of heaven. You will move like you have never moved before. 
as you move, many will say and feel, I was born to do this. Do not let the enemy deceive you by feelings of circumstance. You have indeed entered a new season of the spacious place. It is time to step in. So much of that resonates with where I feel that we are as a church. So much of that, that we have been going through a time of preparation, of cleansing, of challenge. That we've been going through a time of being readied for what God wants to do in us and through us, in this community and beyond. So much of that resonates about innovation and authority, but not just a few famous faces doing it, but all of us. Wherever we are, wherever we're positioned, whatever we're doing, whatever age, whatever situation, whatever story, whatever background, whatever workplace, all of us being called to step in to this new movement of the Spirit. So much of that resonates where I think we are. So then, that was about 10 days ago, and then last weekend, um, member of the church came forward with this word. It says, church, arise. This is from somebody within YCC. said, this is what I feel God's saying. Church, arise. It's time to get up off your bottoms. Actively take hold of all I am holding out to you. Take hold of it. Introspection stops here. Overanalyzing stops here. Prevarication needs to cease. See, I am holding out a basket of fruit. It is lush, tasty, juicy, good to eat. It draws the eye and delights the senses. It is everything you have ever wanted. It is everything you have prayed and asked me for. Stop sitting back and contemplating what is on offer or the possibilities of what could be and move. Step into what I'm holding out to you. Stop looking and move. Stop window shopping. Get on with it. I am a good God and a good Father. You sing this every Sunday. Do you believe it? Then come on in and live it. Come on in as the water's fine. Stop dipping your toe in. Jump in. Fully immerse yourself in me and all I have to offer you. Jump. Dive. Walk. Swim. However it is you want to get in, but just do it. My love is enough. My power is sufficient. I am all you need. Come on in. The water's fine. And in me, you are safe. Love from God. This is a word that was brought a week ago for us as a church. Again, you see how it resonates with the other words that are, I've just brought a couple, there are more bouncing around. But you see how it resonates. And there's this real sense that God's saying, come on people, you've been praying for this, you've been preparing for this, you've been dreaming for this, you've been asking for this, you've been wanting this. And I don't know, for different ones of us, we might have different ideas of what that is. For some of us, it might be, oh, we wanted to see more and more people coming to faith. And God's saying, great. Then I'm empowering you to speak out. I'm empowering you to be an evangelist. I'm empowering you to share your story and to bring people into the kingdom. For some of you, it might be, oh, I've been praying and I've been asking and I've just got this feeling that God wants to do, bring healing. And God's saying, well, great. Because I'm empowering you to heal. 
So let's do it. For some of you, there's been something stirring for a while, but it just feels really costly. You're kind of going, but I can't. Like maybe God's been telling you to give up your job or, or, to, or to give something that's massively costly to you. And it might be finance, but it actually might be something entirely other. It might be, you know, changing your circumstances might mean that your child can't go to that school anymore or that your family has to move house because it's not affordable anymore. Or it might, it might mean that moving away from a career that you always dreamt was going to be your career and your thing and that was what God calling you to. And yet you've had this sense that maybe actually it's something entirely different. Maybe it means putting yourself out there when that's the most terrifying thing that you can imagine is putting yourself out there. Whatever it is, whatever the stuff is that we've been sensing and we've been praying, there's this sense that God's saying, okay, you've been asking for this and now's the time. Now's the time to do it. There's a quote from a guy called Eugene Cho, who's a pastor of a church in Seattle. He says, everyone loves the idea of justice until there's a cost. Well, there's always a cost. Stay on course, be faithful. And so I've played with that quote a little bit because I think that's a really good quote and it's a really good challenge. Because we all do love the idea of justice until it's going to cost us something, right? And it's like, oh, well, I don't know, maybe. I mean, I, I care about it, but do I care about it that much? Everyone loves the idea of justice until there's a cost, but there's always a cost. Stay the course. Be faithful. Commit to what we're called to do. But similarly, you see, everyone loves the idea of revival until there's a cost. See, I kind of grew up with this idea, and I don't know how many of you might feel the same way, but, you know, people talked about revival coming, and there's revival's going to come, and revival's on its way, and revival, and revival, and revival. Like God was just going to one day decide, okay, today's the day, and God was going to do it. And we all sit back and go, oh, revival came, amazing. Like, we had to do nothing to see that revival happen. God was just going to do it or not. Which is, A, quite disempowering, very passive, and it makes us front row spectators of what God's doing, rather than active participants. But the kingdom, kingdom costs. Everyone loves the idea of revival until there's a cost. Everyone loves the idea of a move of the spirit until there's a cost, until it's awkward, until it's uncomfortable, and then maybe we don't. Everyone loves the idea of miracles until there's a cost. and then maybe we don't so much. Everyone loves the idea of kingdom until there's a cost. But there's always a cost. Stay the course, be faithful. Which is why this morning we're talking about what's the cost gonna be? What are you prepared for this to cost you? Because we've been wanting this, right? The stuff that the prophecies are talking about, the stuff that we're sensing, the increase, the acceleration, the expansion, the increase in authority, the increase in influence, the, the opportunities for innovation, whether that's around mental health or whether that's around, you know, I keep being asked, is there anything that the church can do to help hospitals, with, particularly with transitioning people out who are in beds but don't need to be in hospital into social care? Or is there anything we can do to help with that process? Is there anything we can do to help around mental health? What about mental health in schools? What about mental health in the community? What about health care? What about social care? 
I keep being asked these questions all the time, and I've kind of got this sense that actually these are some of the areas that maybe God's calling us to be innovative in. But I haven't got all the ideas. Maybe you're sat there with this idea that's just been in your head spinning for however long, and you're going, but oh, I couldn't possibly do it. And also, I, I tell you what someone needs to do. We're good at that, aren't we? I tell you what someone needs to do. Someone should do this. Someone. We're great at watching the news, aren't we? We've got all the answers. We watch there and we see the problems. We go, I, I tell you what we should do. I know what someone needs to do. I'll tell you what they should do. And what if God's saying, this is the stuff you've been praying for. This is the stuff I've been putting in you. You know, we saw an example before of Rachel taking this immense step of faith and obedience and going, well, I feel like God's telling me to do this and I don't know what it looks like and it's terrifying and it's costly and it's scary, but I'm just going to have to do whatever it is God's saying. And I feel like maybe there's a lot of us in that position. And maybe we're trying to block it out. And maybe we're trying to shut it down. And maybe we're going to silence, we've been trying to silence that voice because it's too costly, it's too inconvenient, it's too difficult. I don't know what the other side looks like. Fine, I'll leave my job if that's what I'm supposed to do, God, but tell me what I'm supposed to do. Fine, I'll, we'll move house or I'll change our financial circumstances or I'll give that money that we've got set aside or I'll do whatever it is, but tell me at least what it's going to look like. And God's going, no, just do what I've told you to do. Are we going to be that courageous church? Are we going to be those courageous people? What are we prepared for this to cost us? Because you see, what's interesting, here's a, here's a quote I saw the other day and I loved it. I've not checked the veracity of it, but I liked it. Of the 40 miracles in Acts, 39 happen outside the walls of the church. See, we love it when miracles happen here. We love it when people take steps of faith and become Christians. We love it when we see healings, right? We love it. We love coming along on Sunday and someone gets prayed for. Someone comes forward and we pray for them. And then we're healed and someone's able to stand here and go, oh, this person last week, this person prayed for me and I was healed. And we love it. We're going, fabulous. But the ratios that we're seeing in Acts suggest that for every time we see that, we should be seeing that 39 times out in the community. Every time you pray for someone to be healed within these walls, are you praying 39 times for someone to be healed in your workplace, in your school, in your college, in your street, in your friendship groups, in your parent and toddlers groups, in your whatever it is? Because this isn't supposed to happen just inside the confines of these walls. This is supposed to happen out in the community. This is supposed to be happening on the streets. What are you prepared for this to cost you? What is it that God is calling us to do and you to do? Because this isn't just a few. This is all of us. This is all of us. What does it mean to get out of the boat? To put yourself in a position where if Christ doesn't come through, you're sunk. That's how we let Christ do the God-sized things through us. By taking those steps of faith where we put ourselves in a position where God has to come through.
Otherwise, we don't know how we're going to afford this. We don't know how we're going to achieve that. We don't know what's going to happen with our kids. We don't know what's going to happen with their education. We don't know what's going to happen with our family. We don't know what's going to happen with our career. We don't know what's going to happen with whatever it might be. If God doesn't pull through, we're sunk. How often do we put ourselves in those situations? Do you remember me talking about the boy, the five loaves and two fishes, and he didn't give two loaves and one fish. He didn't give out of his excess. He gave five loaves and two fish. He put himself in need of the same miracle that he was, that he was resourcing. How often do we put ourselves in that position? You see, because we aren't just recipients of this kingdom, we are activists of this kingdom. And God is calling us. God is calling us. Maybe like with an urgency that hasn't been there for as long as I can remember, God is calling us to say, go and do this. Are we up for this church? We aren't just beneficiaries of this kingdom. We are catalysts and carriers of this kingdom. God is calling us to step in, to join in, to take a step out of the boat, to put ourselves in need, in a position where God has to pull through or we're sunk. This morning, as the musicians come up, what's our response going to be to those prophetic words that God's giving us about with an urgency and an immediacy and a now These are the things you've been praying for. These are the things you've been hoping to see. And I'm telling you, they're right there in front of you. Are we prepared to step forward and take them? Are we prepared to step forward and put ourselves outside of our comfort zone? Are we prepared to embrace the cost, even if we don't fully understand the magnitude of the cost? Are we prepared to do what God is calling us to do? Are we prepared to do this with him? God, this isn't some overbearing pressure thing from God. God is saying, all the things you have asked for, I'm holding out in front of you. It's like a banquet of fruit. It's like a banquet of food. You just need to reach out and take it. You just need to take the step. But the kingdom doesn't come without sacrifice. Sacrifice is a principle of the kingdom. And the things that we find our security in, however misguided we might be, the things we find our security in, whether it be finance or whether it be careers, whether it be our friendship groups, whether it be our family and our children, or what are we prepared for this to cost us this morning? So why don't we stand? Because this isn't a passive kingdom. This isn't a passive opportunity. This isn't a passive invitation. And I don't know what that thing is for you. But I know that God's calling us to be innovative. So it might be that you've got this fabulous idea that you've been sat there for ages going, someone should do this. And maybe this morning God's going, why don't you do that? And you're having this dialogue with God going, (laughs) that's just not practical for me to do it. That puts me in a position where if you don't pull through, God, 
I'm sunk. Maybe that's what God's asking this morning. Maybe that's God's invitation this morning. What's it going to cost? And it might be that you've just had this. You know, when I'm talking about this new kingdom, this new move of God, when I'm talking about this invitation from God and these prophetic words that I'm reading out and something's stirring in you and you're going, yes, this is what I've wanted forever. It's just an inconvenient time right now. Could, I, could we rain check on this? Like, can I come back to you in a couple of months or in a couple of years? And God's saying, come on now. Trust me. This is what you wanted. Might be a gifting that God wants to give you today for healing. Might be a gifting for evangelism. It might be a gifting for justice. That's going to cost. Might be a gifting for the miraculous. Might be that God's asking you to lay something down. To give up something. Maybe God's asking you to give up your job. Or to go part-time instead of full-time. Might be a financial thing. Might be a family thing. But this morning... Let's not be passive. Let's not be static. If you have a sense that God's calling you to something, come forward this morning. I'm going to get the leadership team around. I'm going to get the premiership team around. And we're going to pray for you. We're going to pray with you. We're going to cheer you on. We're going to listen. And we're going to hear God together. And if it's giftings that you want, we're going to pray for that. If it's, a, if it's whatever it is, however outrageous, however crazy, you might need to come as a couple. You might need to come as a family. You might need to come on your own. But come forward. Because there's an urgency. There's an urgency in God's words to us this week. There's an urgency in God's words to us at the moment. And there is a ripping apart of heaven and earth. There's an open heaven. What are the dreams of our hearts? So as we sing, as you're ready, take time, chat to your partner if you need to chat to your partner, whatever it is, but this morning, take that step of faith. Take that step of obedience.